Hey everybody, it's Justin Shackle welcoming you to episode 27 of Towing the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. Every week, we talk baseball with a very deep focus on the art of pitching, and we do it with the five-time World Series champion and the Cy Young Award winner, David Cohn, the research Jedi, James Smythe, and myself, though I am just a lowly Padawan. Guys, we have made it. Season's about to start this week, opening day this Thursday. And it's kind of cool because our final guest of the offseason is the pitcher who won the final game of the 2021 season. That's some nice symmetry with uh, Max Free joining us, no? It really is. I mean, that, he came up big last year. The guy's got, he's got the goods, without a doubt. I mean, left-handed power pitcher with a beautiful curveball. Yeah, he's a world champion. You can never take that away from him. And, uh, you know, he's hungry, too. You know, it sounds like, you know, they're ready for more. So it's going to be fun to watch them. Yeah, Max Freed coming up big in game six, that decisive, you know, the clinching game in the World Series last fall against the Astros. And he forms, I think, one of the top three in a rotation that a lot of people don't talk about. And David, we kind of got into this at the very end of our conversation with Max Freed. I don't know if enough attention is being drawn to the Atlanta Braves. Maybe it's because some of the other teams in the National League, they really revamped their rosters and they, they bulked up there. But between the top three in the rotation with himself, Ian Anderson, Charlie Morton, and then a bullpen that's probably the best in the game, you have Matt Olson now. I don't know if a lot of people are talking enough about the Atlanta. It sounds weird because they just won the World Series, but I don't know if a lot of people are, are giving as much credit as they should to the Atlanta Braves here in 2022. It's a valid point. You throw Kenley Jansen at the end of that bullpen now, and it did, which was already, as you said, so solid as it was. Uh, you know, I, I really think that Max Fried is coming into his own. Our guest, obviously, on the, on this podcast, uh, he's a second opening day start. Um, it's just uh, he's got the ability as a left-handed starter to really be a dominant one because of his his curveball slider combination. His fastball is four seam, two seam combination. He only throws his change up about 3% of the time, a little less than 3% of the time. If he gets that pitch going, as we talked to him in this podcast a little bit about, you know, it's, it's lights out. I mean, he's already got plenty of stuff to be a, a frontline starter for a long time. And, and a guy who's had success. And as we said, once you, once you pitch in the world series and you have that kind of success, especially in a clinching game, that's something you carry with you. That's a confidence. That's a badge of honor. That, that you grow from and, and that you can, you can sort of uh, draw on whenever you get in a jam and any big game coming up, he's been there, done that. And believe me, that matters. Hey, James, you touched on it on his, his pitching timeline sort of going from 2020 to 2021 when we had him on and he kind of really took off after, when you look at the numbers, after he increased the usage of his slider, pairing it with the curveball, the fastball, he's kind of always had those two pitches, but then you had that third true weapon. And I think that's why it could be tough for hitters to kind of barrel him up and make hard contact because he does not induce a whole lot of it. That's for sure. Right. And it's the difference going from good to great. Right. And you look at even some of the underlying stat cast uh, numbers that he's in the top quarter in the league in things like hard hit rate, average exit velocity, all the expected numbers, barrel rate. He's, the total package and now after being a world series hero we get to see kind of how he aims to compete at an elite level 
in this game moving forward in 2022. He touches on that a little bit, touches on the ring ceremony that's happening this Saturday in Atlanta. Also on his interest in Sandy Colfax. I thought that was really interesting. And he also gives some advice to some of our young listeners on when to properly begin to throw a curveball. I thought that's very, very insightful. So if you're young, if you're trying to learn when exactly to start throwing the curve, some of those breaking pitches, you're definitely going to want to listen up to what Max Fried had to say. Okay, the opener here this week, David and James and I, we start you off by kind of letting you know what is going on around the game. And we are focusing on pitching, obviously. There's some big pitching injuries as we've approached the opening week of the season here. Let's start with the New York Mets, guys. In the offseason, the Mets paired Max Scherzer with Jacob deGrom to form probably the most lethal one-two combo in the big leagues. People were talking about how that stacked up compared to Johnson Schilling some 20 years ago, Scherzer DeGrom was going to lead this Mets rotation. But when we're actually going to see them together in the same turn through a rotation is, is to be determined here. DeGrom's hurt again, stress injury of his right scapula, and he's not going to be throwing for four weeks. So how concerning is the fact that it just kind of seems now over the last 12 months or so, Whenever Jacob DeGrom begins to throw a baseball, he's getting hurt, David. Yeah, it is concerning. You know, you keep thinking maybe it would be the elbow again because you're wondering, is, is he eventually going to have to have John? But it wasn't the elbow, so it's it's certainly around the scapula, lat area. So, yeah, that's very recoverable. He'll be back. There's no doubt. So that's the good news. The bad news was is, is, is that there was so much excitement. You know, you mentioned the tandem of Johnson and Schilling. Koufax and Drysdale, DeGrom and Scherzer actually pitched together in a spring training game. It was just those two. You know, DeGrom started, went the first three or four, and then Scherzer came in and finished the game. It was a, probably a, one of the highest rated television games that the SNY network has had with those two pitchers pitching. The fan base is lit up, and obviously it's a big blow to the fan base. Uh, the diehards are going to cry, you know, and, and understandably so. I mean, you're so looking forward to watching those guys pitch back-to-back. If you're relying on one pitcher to make or break your team, then you probably don't have enough pitching. You don't have enough depth. So DeGrom will be back. Scherzer can hold the fort down until then, assuming that his leg's okay and the hamstring issues are minor, as has, has been reported. But that's why you signed Scherzer. You've got two aces. So one of them can hold down the fort. But nonetheless, it's, it's, it's very disappointing for the Mets fan base who are so lit up, so excited. New owner, Steve Cohen. They actually have an extra threshold because of your owner, Mets. The Steve Cohen th- threshold at $290 million. He doesn't even care about it. So what a, what a time to be a Mets fan right now. Uh, DeGrom pretty deflating, though, at this point, although he will be back. It stinks for baseball. He's, he's the best pitcher in the game, and, and all of us will, will see less of him this year, which is disappointing. But, Coney, you mentioned the importance of depth. You can't bang that drum enough. A note on last season. Around the major leagues, teams averaged just under 14 starting pitchers for the season. And they also averaged 42 starts by pitchers who were not in the team's top five in starts. So, Coney, you've brought up the six, seven, eight, nine starters. They are making up almost a quarter of your entire season in starts. That's the wild part about how good Jacob deGrom is guys because he missed the entire second half of last season he's gonna miss 
it sounds like at least the first two months of this season, but yet when he goes and picks up the baseball again, I think we all have that blind faith to say Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball. That that's kind of what makes this such a, a sour note because we are not able to see the the goat at the moment in major league baseball. I shouldn't say the goat, but you know, the, the best pitcher on the planet right now in Jacob DeGrom. All right, let's move on to the White Sox because they've experienced a, an injury or two of their own. Lance Lynn going to be out roughly eight weeks as he makes his way back from a tendon tear in his right knee. And then that means Lucas Giolito is going to assume the top spot in the rotation. But between Lynn going down now, you have a bullpen that had the potential to be excellent. They're now without Craig Kimbrell after – he was traded to the Dodgers. They're also without Garrett Crochet, who could hit triple digits. He's going down for Tommy John's surgery. Joe Kelly is also starting the season late. So the White Sox also have a lot of pitching injuries. They're a team that many pick to come out of the American League. The Mets are a team that many pick to maybe come out of the NL East. Both teams look to be postseason squads. In your opinions, which team do you believe is more equipped to battle through their pitching adversity? Well, I think I'll de defer to James Smythe on this. You know, I kind of stand by my statement before of if you're relying on one pitcher going down, especially in your rotation, then you don't have enough pitching. Uh, although Lance Lynn is a big blow. I mean, he really has established himself as one of the great horses in the game. I mean, three times through the lineup, no problem for him. You know, those type of starting pitchers are rare in today's game. And when, when we're, hey, he's, he's going to pitch six, seven innings. He's going to average that. You don't have to worry about him or his pitch count. He's so efficient about it with his fastball going after hitters. So, yeah, I mean, James, it, it, it's a big blow, but I think the White Sox in the Central Division, you know, it, it might be an interesting story there. Yeah, it's a big blow either way. These are great pitchers, but I think just the circumstance of where they are in their league and in their division is, could, could swing that. The White Sox are in the AL Central. The Mets are in the NL East. I think the White Sox can, can weather this easier than the Mets can just because even with this, I mean, the, the White Sox are still the odds-on favorite to win the AL Central. And the Mets, they're going to have to deal with uh, a possibly ascendant Phillies team and uh, the Atlanta Braves, who just happen to be the world champs and have our guest Max Freed. So it might be a tougher road to hoe for the Mets. Yeah, I know I've mentioned it in the last couple of weeks. I'm pretty bullish on the AL Central. I think it's going to be a sneaky good division. But I, yeah, the, the NL East is way more pressing right now. So I would have to say the White Sox can, can withstand this. They can weather this storm. In the West, in the National League West, you have the Padres acquiring Sean Manaya. So he's reunited with with his old manager in Oakland, Bob Melvin. And he joins a rotation that you didn't think needed any more depth to it. But here you have Manaya being inserted into rotation with you, Darvish, Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove, and Mike Clevenger. And oh yeah, they have guys like Chris Paddock and Nick Martinez on the outside looking in now. Does this move make San Diego a threat to win the NL West? Well, it, it's, it's sort of a... a a tough spot in the NL West when you're the San Diego Padres and you've made so much progress over the last few years and you have a great young shortstop, maybe the best young player in the game, even though he's hurt as well, but he will be back at some point after his wrist surgery that you have to keep up with the Dodgers. You have to keep on making moves to try to get deeper and better 
because you know the Dodgers are a juggernaut right now. They are the team in Major League Baseball that has tremendous resources that will stop at nothing. They're not worried about the third luxury tax or the fourth luxury tax. They're going to do whatever they can to stay on top and, and keep a sustainable model. So if you're in that division and you're the San Diego Padres, I understand this move. It's a move that you got to keep. These are the type of moves you got to keep making, uh, especially when you've got some injuries, you know, that, that you've got to overcome. It does make it interesting that they, that they have been shopping paddock, you know, the, the right-handed kind of fastball changeup guy, uh, the Mets, uh, there's rumors that he might go to the Mets to kind of help them with their depth. It'd be interesting to see, you know, uh, if anything happens before opening day, with some of this excess pitching or starting pitching that's out there or whether that works itself up to the trade deadline. And, and, and maybe, maybe something happens at that point. Can I pick the Padres to win the NL central instead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a, a move that leads to another move. Hey, you have, you have Paddock, you have Nick Martinez who pitched in Korea. Yeah. You have Mackenzie Gore, who is another, you know, young name that is expected to get a chance here in 2022. And they go after, a pitcher in Chaminaya who is as durable as a pitcher could be in, in 2021. So it's going to be interesting to watch for in the NL West. All right, let's get to a former Padre. And by me, by, by that, I mean, Max Fried was drafted by the Padres. He was traded to the Braves earlier in his minor league career, made his debut with Atlanta, of course. And in 2021, helped them end the drought, their first title since 1995. So Max Fried is at the top of the Atlanta Braves rotation. He's going to be starting on Thursday on opening day. He's going to be collecting a ring on Saturday night. Without further ado, our guest here on Tone the Slab, pitching with David Cohn this week, it is Braves pitcher Max Freed. Max, thanks so much for joining us here on the episode this week. How you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate the time here. And you've been named the Braves opening day starter for a second straight season, but you're also getting your World Series rings on Saturday night. So you're starting opening day this Thursday. Saturday is the ring ceremony. Some truth serum here. Which night are you looking forward to most? I'm, I'm definitely ready to get back out there and compete again. Uh, but I would be lying to say that uh, I'm not excited about, you know, experiencing the ring ceremony, being able to, you know, finally see it for the first time and being able to kind of celebrate that with my teammates. So you have no... You haven't received any hints or so what the ring could look like. Some some talk here and there, but I, I have no idea. I'm going to be completely surprised. Okay. Okay. David, I want to ask you this, but after uh, we ask Max here, does the anticipation and the start of a new season feel any different coming off a World Series win? I would say... That's a good question. Uh, I would say it's definitely a little different, uh, but at the same time, we've this is a group and a core group of guys that have gone to the playoffs four years in a row. Uh, we we kind of know what to expect about going into a season, and we know it's going to be a long, tough season. People are going to be coming after us, and we're going to have a little bit of a target on our back. But uh, we're you know we're going to go out there and play the game between the lines and give it everything we got and just try to keep winning ball games. All right, David, does the anticipation for the start of a new season feel any different after you come off back-to-back world series win? something that Max and his teammates are going to try and pull off? Yeah, no, I mean, you always have to sort of self-motivate 
You know, it, it's easy to, to, to sit back in an off season, have a long off season, you know, when you're the world series champs and you kind of revel in it, you party a little bit, you enjoy it. But it sounds to me like this Braves team's hungry. They have a great group of young players. They haven't had enough by any means. You can just tell by the way they, they go about their business that this is a team that's looking for multiple championships and they've got the core nucleus to do it. Uh, Max, I've been, thanks again for coming on. I've been a big fan of your work. Actually, when I was working for Fox. I called one of your first games, uh, you know, for Fox one Saturday game and your, your debut. And we heard a lot of stories about you. You know, I, I was a pitcher who signed out of high school. So I always ask pitchers this question because I'm fascinated by it. But I know you've probably been asked this question a lot about Harvard Westlake and Lucas Giolito and obviously Jack Flaherty and what that was like on a high school team. But for me, you had a chance to go to UCLA. That's a big decision. You know, you're the number one pick, obviously. You got a pretty decent offer. So uh, how hard was that decision for you to, to make at that point? Did, did you did you waver a little bit? And I know UCLA's got a great program as well. Uh, yeah, it definitely – it wasn't an easy decision. You know, they – just coming off really good years, they had just produced, you know, the, the number one, and I think it was like the number three pick in Colin Bauer the year before. So – you knew that they had a good track record of developing pitching and being able to produce really good talent. And uh, for me at the time, it was, it was kind of an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. I, you know, I was, uh, I was fortunate to get drafted in a, in a pretty good position and it would, it was my goal or in my dream since I'd been, you know, I could walk and talk to play professional baseball and uh, kind of jumped at the opportunity and, uh, didn't ex didn't expect thought I knew what to expect but definitely was in a little over my head you know just moving across living on your own you're young and uh, but you know it's it's all worked out so far luckily yeah that's a great point those first couple of years are tough right finding a place to live minor league baseball and then uh, you know real life things they don't teach you in high school right budgeting your money all the thing you know it's the, the trigonometry calculus doesn't doesn't uh, really play into to trying to find an apartment wherever minor league town you're in so so then you find yourself you've got uh, tommy john surgery and then you're traded so yeah. what, what did that feel like you know i mean did, did, did you feel like you know it was an opportunity or did you kind of they kind of slam you a little bit to feel like you were, you got traded i it was just it was completely shocking wasn't expecting it uh it was in the middle of the off season, hadn't even touched a ball. I think I got Tommy John in August and I got traded in December. So hadn't touched a ball yet, was still doing, you know, rehab, still like in my click cast. So I had the thing that was restricting my motion and I uh, just woke up one morning to a call from my agent. And I think my parent or like my dad coming in and just saying like, Hey, I, uh, I, it's like all over yeah, I'm gonna be an hour like you just got traded and I didn't hear anything for a couple hours and then you know you get the phone call like hey yeah you've gotten traded and at that at that point you just kind of you I don't know I feel like every guy that gets drafted has this dream of uh, being with one organization your whole career and trying to make it through and you know being that that one team guy and you know, so the very beginning you're you're unsure because you know I'm a west coast kid playing for the Padres, Arizona spring training. And then it's next thing you know, it's, you know, you got to fly to Orlando and rehab in Orlando and you're across the country dealing with humidity and, uh, you know, long days, but it's honestly looking back on it. It was probably the best thing that happened in my career. I was able to, you know, kind of have a 
a new start, went to a, an organization that uh, has developed some pretty good pitching and has a really awesome, uh, you know, they've great pedigree and obviously so much history. So to be able to be a part of that and uh, get my shot in the big leagues, it's, uh, it's something that I'm definitely grateful for. You mentioned the humidity, uh, I guess, in this in the southeastern part of the country. California kid, did you did was that the first time when you realized that you were that blessed coming from the West Coast and having that ungodly weather, that that amazing what California weather when you first came out here? So oh, that's it's something that I still battle with to this day. Um, you know, being being a kid from LA with you know more dry heat you're you're not used to sweating as much and I found out real quick that when I go into the south that my hands get way softer and I deal with blisters and kind of stuff to that extent so it, it was definitely a, it's been an adjustment I've had a couple rough years with that I feel like I've been able to kind of get that under under control but yeah it's uh especially when you when you experience summers in in Orlando and, and in Florida and then also in Atlanta it's uh it gets pretty hot how do you overcome that? Is it just reps? Yeah, I think it's just time. Your body just needs to adjust, being able to just acclimate yourself to a new environment. Well, James, J James Smythe here, our master researcher on the pod. James, 2021 was a, a year where Max really took it to another level here. 2020, even though it was a small sample, that was kind of like the big breakout year. But 2021, you put your stamp on the majors and saying basically, Hey man, I've arrived. You're going to have to keep up with me now, James, what stood out the most when you take a look at some of the underlying stats with max. Well, 2020, like you said, that's the, the breakout there. Seven and no two, two, five ERA fifth in the Cy Young. Great, but it's a shortened season. And a lot of guys, you know, don't put as much into into that. Come back in 2021, 14 and seven with a three Oh four ERA finishing in the top 10 in ERA, wins, war. So another great year. And then taking it to the next step, winning the 2021 World Series, winning the clinching game. Only two Atlanta Braves pitchers have ever won the clinching game to win a championship for the Atlanta Braves. It's Tom Glavin and Max Freed. Max, that clinching game in game six, six shutout innings, four hits, no walks, six Ks. Things could have gone a little haywire in that first inning. Infield single for Jose Altuve. The collision with Michael Brantley, and you end up in a pickle, but you come through Correa, Alvarez, Gurriel, you mow through them, and then you're on your way. How did you keep things from getting a little out of hand there in that, in that clinching game? Uh, realistically, I just didn't want to repeat what happened in game two. Uh, I knew that in game two, it was similar situation, ball finds a hole. And then the next thing you know, like four or five runs come in. And uh, when you when you put yourself behind a team like that, it's really hard to come back and win. So knowing that that was gonna be a big part of the game, uh, in my mind, I just tried to, as soon as I got to first and second, knowing where, where I'm in the order, my main thought is just keep it to one run. Just get out of this with one run, you know, cut your losses. And if you, if you just give up one run here, that's more than enough that the guys can come back and, you know, scratch a cuff, uh, scratch off a couple more. So 
for me, it was just trying to make a, just one pitch at a time, get the out. And uh, I was luckily able to kind of get ahead and threw a really good pitch and was able to get a strikeout. And then from there it was, I knew I had one out and I knew it was a ground ball from getting out of the inning. So just stay on the attack. And it was really just one hitter at a time. Take, take everything that I had done in the past and kind of throw it out the window or learn from it. And then just be able to say like, okay, let's go after the guys, get the next guy out right here. And then, uh, yeah, it was just mostly just kind of taking it in segments and then not really overthinking it or having that moment just be over too overwhelming. That was a fantastic job of pitching. I think you gave your entire team a lift there, pitching through that jam and then, you know, through game six. I mean, that's something you could always absolutely recall the rest of your career that you've been through a moment like that. Did, you know, did you notice the intensity level of the postseason, especially the world series being different than the regular season and that adrenaline rush and every pitch meaning so much? I think you do. I, I think I've just been fortunate that we had been a team that's been in the postseason for a couple of years before where I got a little bit of a taste of it. And uh, you you just come to realize that the games are, yes, they're more important and things are heightened, but at the end of the day, it's still baseball and you still got to make your pitches and you still have to play the game. And it's the same game that you were playing the whole year. It's um, if you put more pressure on yourself than, you know, it's, it just makes it that much more difficult. So I just tried to simplify everything. Just tell myself that if you make the pitches that you're supposed to make, that you have a good chance of being successful. So just focus on that. So 2021, you have a sub two ERA down the stretch in the second half. You play a huge role in the Braves title win. Is this year the takeover for Max Fried as far as individual performances go? Is there more that we haven't seen from you yet? Uh, I sure hope so. You know, um, for me, it's I, I try to take out the the individual statistics or I've never been a guy that's really chased stats for when I do that, I tend to pitch. I tend to nibble and I, you know, I'm trying to do too much for me. It's when I take the ball that day, I want our team to win and give my team the best chance to win. And if I think about that, then I've noticed that the stats tend to come along with it. But when I have that mentality of I'm, I'm going to try to chase strikeouts or I'm going to try to throw, you know, shut out ball that doesn't work but if I go and I play the game and I'm trying to you know just just help our team win and keep us in a position whether it's you know I give up you know I go six or seven innings and give up one or two runs but we scored three or four then I'm coming out of that game really happy so uh, my mentality is more of if I take the ball that day and give us the best chance to win then I did my job and I'm happy. Okay, okay, Max, I got to nerd out with you a little bit. I'm, I'm really into your stuff here, you know, and I'm kind of wondering how attuned you are to the metrics and mm -hmm. what tools you use. Are you aware of your, your vertical horizontal movement, your, your spin rates? Uh, you're a guy, to me, you have an explosive four-seam fastball at times. I mean, in the upper 90s at times, but you throw a fair amount of two-seamers off of that four-seamer. You have a great curveball. Everybody talks about the Kofax curveball. You definitely have a true yacker, but you throw a fair amount of sliders too, a really good slider. So your curveball slider combination and your four-seamer, two-seamer combination with the occasional changeup, 
what are we looking for moving forward? What are you working on? And how much do you use the new metrics and the new, the, you know, the high-speed cameras and, and everything, every tool that's available to you, how much do you use those as well? Um, I'm, I'm aware of it. I don't try to dive in too deep. Um, for me, I like to use the, the metrics of seeing what it is just to see consistency of shape. So I'm a, I'm a person that tends to kind of go on the spectrum of, you know, I've got pitches that cut and, you know, go glove side and I've got some pitches that go arm side. So to be able to not have any blend into each other, I'll just kind of look to see if they're in, in good areas. But for the most part, my, my big thing is keeping hitters off balance and just pitching. I want to, I want to change speeds. I want to be able to move the ball around and, uh, you know, I was, was kind of always taught that there's three ways to get a hitter out and it's in and out, up and down and front to back. So if I can change those three things and uh, it's, it's just going to make it harder for the, the hitter to square you up. Is there, is, is there any chance of you increasing your usage of the change up or is that something that's coming along or do you get enough separation that front to back part with your curveball? It's uh it's something that I've always wanted. You know, I've always wanted a good changeup. It's just something that hasn't hasn't really been uh, as good at, in my arsenal. Uh, I would say that the others offbeat pitches have definitely been ahead of it. Something I've worked on and trying to trying to mix it in, but still understanding who I am as a pitcher. When you mentioned the Koufax curveball. You wear number 54. Is it true that you came up with that 54 by combining two all-time great left-handers numbers? Uh, no, uh, unfortunately not. Uh, I think it was, I think it was Tim Kirchin that came up with that and he asked me about it. And I, um, I thought it was a really awesome coincidence, but the true story behind that is I debuted and I was number 61 and then the next off season, I came into Fan Fest and grabbed my jersey, and it was 54, and <laughs> put it on, and I had a I had a good year, so I didn't change it. So. Well, from now on, we can just say it's Kofax is 32, and Clayton Kershaw is 22. Add them up, and you get 54. <laughs> Let's just roll with that instead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice coincidence. <laughs> hey, everybody! You know what is even smoother than a Trey Turner slide into home plate? It's your own bat and balls after using Manscaped. Right now, go to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code SLAB. Manscaped has the full package for your package this season. The Performance Package 4.0 checks every box and is the five-tool star that you've been searching for to bring your balls club to the promised land. The Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, the Weed Whacker for your nose and ear hair, the Crop Preserver to knock out that chafing and to moisturize, you know that's everyone's favorite word, and the Crop Reviver. It's going to make your inner clubhouse look like the ultimate field of dreams. Clean up below the waist in 2022 with the best lineup from Manscaped. You can up your game and stay under the luxury tax as well by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code SLAB. Again, manscaped.com, you get 20% off plus free shipping by using the code SLAB. Max, you, you are, like you said, you're from Southern California, LA-based, growing up read that you your your family you were very interested in learning as much as you could about sandy colfax what went into that how because it's pretty rare for a kid growing up in the 2000s to be enamored with a guy who pitched in the 60s 
Um, yeah, I, I would say that there's couple, there are a couple of things. Uh, first, um, growing up Southern California being left-handed, Sandy Koufax is a legend. And on top of that, uh, I'm Jewish. So growing up, Sandy Koufax is, you know, kind of the, the role model, the epitome of, you know, sports excellence. So having, having someone like that, that has some similarities to you definitely was, uh, a big reason. And then on top of that, I also, one of my mentors from the time I was five years old to even to today, uh, Reggie Smith, I, I've, uh, learned a ton from him and him being familiar and, you know, obviously knowing, knowing Sandy a little bit kind of gave me some background, some stories that just kept me interested and, um, always had a good curveball and it was someone that it was easy to try to emulate, especially just being, being from that area. The depth of your curveball, did that just come naturally and kind of by coincidence that, that Colfax, that Kershaw depth, or is there something to there? Is there a connection because of the LA ties, the Dodger ties, anything like that? Um, I think I had a, I had a, an idea of what I wanted the pitch to, to look like, but I just, I think I had a, from a, from a young age, I had the ability to kind of spin a ball, just like spin a curveball or, um, it was, it was something that was a little easier for me than honestly, it was easier for me to throw my curveball than it was my fastball at times. Uh, I would tend to have my fastball sail on me. And sometimes that would just be easier to just, you know, flip some curveballs in there and, uh, it's kind of just the way it developed. It was just always a pitch that was more natural. At what age did you start throwing curveballs, Max? I have a little theory on this. I, I started mine at a pretty young age, and I know that it's been debated out there over the years on, you know, whether you should allow little leaguers or young guys to throw curveballs. When did you first start throwing yours? Um, I think I started, like, messing around with one that was more of like a – I guess I would say it was like a training grip where it was uh, – it was just more of like me trying to just spin the ball end over end. Um, and I, I started that, I think it was like 12, 11 or 12, but it would, it was not a pitch that I was throwing a ton probably until I got to be 13, 14. And then, you know, middle school, high school, you start realizing that the pitch is getting some success. So you, you know, you play around with it more. I love that, you know, for young pitchers out there that are aspiring to be like Max Freed, there's nothing wrong with learning how to do it properly at a younger yeah. age like that at 12 years old. I mean, it's hard to, to wait, you know, Hey, we're not going to let you throw curveballs till you're, till you're in high school or you're 15, 16, 17 years old. And then you try to learn a curveball. A lot of guys, it's too late. It's too, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's just doesn't work that way. So I think that's an interesting point right there. A guy with a great curveball, maybe one of the best left-handed curveballs in the game today started training when he was 12 years old, how to do it properly and get that, that good spin, I think is a really, really big point. Yeah, it was big. It was big for me to make sure that I wasn't doing anything that, and it was a lot of, it was a lot of work and a lot of watching from other people and making sure that you're not doing something different, trying to manipulate it to, right. you know, eventually have arm health be a concern. And Max, one of the pitching storylines of this spring training is, is the advent of the pitch comm technology that we've been seeing in some of these exhibition games. Are you going to dabble with pitch comm this year? Uh, I don't think that 
we are going to be using it. Uh, yeah, just for, I think just as a, I'm not sure if there's any guys on our team that are going to, I know that our catchers are pretty comfortable throwing down signs and we're pretty good at changing them and mixing it up. So maybe down the road, but as of right now, I don't think so. All right. Uh, another storyline here. And this was probably the biggest storyline of the Braves offseason. Their acquisition of Matt Olson and their decision to let Freddie Freeman walk in free agency. Have you had a chance to talk with Freddie since he joined up with the Dodgers? Yeah. Uh, when it happened, I you know, messaged him, uh, let him know that obviously it was sad to see him go but I was super happy for him and congratulated him on a contract well deserved and being able to be closer to home and be near his family and those kinds of things uh you know it was it was it was nice to kind of have that that correspondence what have you seen from this Braves clubhouse and maybe like the nearly uh, two and a half three weeks since the trade that tells you despite Freddie not being there everything's going to be okay with this season. We got a lot of really good, really great guys in the clubhouse. Really love to spend time with each other, hang out, um, but take care of business and leave it all out on the field. And I think we got a, a good group of guys that weren't a part of that team last year that are really important pieces to us that, kind of help drive us to keep us hungry and say that, you know, we, we want to go out there and kind of, you know, get back to the playoffs and see if we can do it again. Are you going to miss hitting? So last year you <laughs> win the silver slugger. Now the silver slugger award goes back to 1980. Yeah. Max, you're the only pitcher in MLB history going back to 1980 when they started the award to win a silver slugger, a gold glove and a world series in the same season and with the DH going universal to the national league, you're the last pitcher to win a silver slugger. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's kind of crazy to think about. Um, I'm definitely going to miss hitting, but at the same time, I, I understand the, the reason for it, you know, get, get guys that get paid to do it and are really good hitters to, you know, increase offense and some excitement around the game instead of watching guys kind of go up there and more or less strike out because I was a victim of that a ton too so um no but it's it's something that I grew up playing outfield first base and always really enjoyed hitting and really enjoyed that part of the game so to kind of be able to have one last go at it last year and have some success it was uh it was really nice to you know be able to do it one last time are, I mean, David, James, you know this, like we, we, the three of us, we spend most of our time in an American league ballpark. We all have Yankee ties. Are, are National League pitchers going to have a little bit more free time in their day at the ballpark now that they don't have to hit? Probably um, before, before the games. Yeah. No more yeah, BP. I mean. Yeah. No, no, yeah. BP. no more BP. I'm going to try to see if I can sneak in there one, once or twice this year, but uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I get to, completely focus on being a pitcher which it'll be nice to be able to you know to just to know that I'm going to go out there and pitch that day and I don't got to worry about you know if I'm coming up this inning and 
come into the dugout and then go straight up to the on deck circle or mm -hmm. be able to run the bases and stand out there all the time. So there's parts of me that's, that's excited about it. All right, Max, we get close to wrapping up here and we have a, a theme that we like to close out our interviews with before we do that going to give you the opportunity and I know you kind of briefly touched on it over the course of our chat but this is the chance for you to stand on the soapbox and send a message out to the rest of baseball here no team has won two straight world series in over 20 years why are the Atlanta Braves going to repeat as champions in 2022 baseball's a crazy game um I don't know if I can sit here and tell you that we're going to, but we're definitely going to give it our best. We're going to go out there and play good, hard baseball for 162 games and, you know, whatever happens, happens. But I've, I've been, I still hope to have a lot more experiences, but from what I know so far, you, you can't, you can't set any guarantees in this because it will humble you real quick. I'll, I'll get on the soapbox and say that, the, you know, the Atlanta Braves, <laughs> have are being underestimated they are the defending champs and everybody's talking about the dodgers and the dodgers deserve a lot of credit because they have tremendous resources yeah. they have freddie freeman great signing they have great pitching but the the well-rounded roster of the braves including starting pitching including max freed leading that rotation on opening day to me says a lot and uh, you've got a dominant left-handed starter leading that team they have a great bullpen and they have Ronald Acuna Jr., one of the best players in the game, coming back full-time this year. You got Matt Olson going to take Freddie Freeman's place. Watch out for the Atlanta Braves. They're going to be knocking on that door again. They have tremendous depth, tremendous balance. I still believe in balance and diversity in, in a team and a lineup. So, Max, I wish you all the best, man. You guys got another great shot to, to at least knock on that door. All you can do is give yourself an opportunity to get back there. As he said, baseball's a crazy game. You don't know what's going to happen, but – uh, you know, the Atlanta Braves are a really good team. They're going to be knocking yeah. on that door. Yeah, no, we're, we're really excited. We're happy with the group. Guys are feeling good and itching at the chance. So, but you, I couldn't have said it any better. You know, we got, we got a lot of good teams. There are a lot of good guys on this team and we're deep and, uh, you know, we're, we're ready. All right, Max, final question here on Tone the Slab. We end our chats with guests uh, having a, a chance to ask something to an upcoming guest of the podcast. So we'll tell you the name of a guest that's coming on the show. You're going to have to come up with a question for them, and Ooh, we'll okay. save the question. We'll ask it to them when they appear on the podcast. But that means we have a question for you, and uh, it comes from oh. one of the up-and-coming pitchers in the game. It is Detroit Tigers right-hander Casey Mize. He had a question for you. Starting that game, uh, my question would, would probably be, obviously I'm curious about the nerves and, and the feelings of, of that game, but how did you compress that? How, how did you kind of lock that stuff up? Or did you, or did you not? Or, or, did you, or did you need that? Or did you need those feelings to go out there and compete you know, harder? Or did you kind of compress to you know, try to get to, to your same level as you normally do for any other game? Or um, did, did you treat it differently? Or... Um, just really the emotional side uh, of leading up to that game. I, I'd be curious to know about. I would definitely say that you you feel the jitters. You you know it's it's the World Series. It's you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's just any any game, but um, it being my second outing, 
it it kind of calmed my nerves a little bit. I knew what to expect. It wasn't it wasn't completely unknown anymore. Uh, but I really honestly just told myself before that before that outing that I was going to leave everything that I had out there. I didn't want to regret one pitch or one one thing that I did. And as long as I knew that I was going to be 100% myself and pitch my game, that whether we won or we lost, I'd be able to live with it and be able to move on. And as soon as I kind of came to grips with that, I just went out there and just pitched and had fun and you know, kind of just play baseball. And from there, I, you know, obviously it went pretty well, but before the game, I just told myself that whether you give up 10 runs or you give up none, you're going to be okay with yourself because you left everything out there. Are you a pre pretty even killed guy? You seem try like to be, okay. I try to be, <laughs> you, know, you know, everyone's got their battles with anxiety and, you know, just kind of nerves, but, um, Kind of, I've, I've noticed that the more, the more you stay in the middle rather than riding the highs and lows, it, it makes it a, it makes it a lot easier and you're more consistent. Yeah. Before you ask your question, I know you're thinking about your question that's going to go in the future. There, <laughs> uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, you know Sandy Koufax and you being Jewish, would you consider playing for Team USA in the World Baseball Classic? I haven't really given it too much thought of plan. It's the World Baseball Classic, such at such such an interesting time, like right before spring and uh, or like during spring training. And they they had a great run a couple of years yeah. ago. The, the no, mench on the mench on the bench was pretty funny. So <laughs> yeah, team the the team Israel team has definitely been uh, they've been they've been pretty competitive and in, been in touch with uh, some of those guys, but the timing of, of that tournament. I don't, I don't know if I'll, uh, I'd be pitching that. Yeah. It's coming up, uh, next year, coming back next year, uh, usually around the early to mid portions of spring training, I believe. So yeah, we, uh, all right, Max, we have a guest coming up. You can ask a question too. It is going to be our first pitching coach on this podcast. So what would you Ask oh. a pitching coach. What would you ask New York Yankees pitching coach Matt Blake? Ooh. Um, I guess I've always kind of been curious as what it's what it's like to play in the in the New York market. What's is it is it any different than kind of like obviously it's different. It's it's very in, more you know intense and. Uh, and you have a really passionate fan base that's really engaged. So is there a more, you know, it, it's a great line of questioning. You're going down there because, you know, yeah. as a coach, I'm sure that has to be one of the variables, right? Can, can, can this guy handle this atmosphere, right? The potential yeah. to get booed, the Bronx cheer, you know, the, the emotional part of it, I think it's a big part of any major league pitcher. Now, I think there's probably changed a lot since I played, you know, I was a Greg mm -hmm. Maddox, Tom Glavin era, uh, so yeah, I mean, we didn't have sports psychiatrists back then, but I, I, I would be curious yeah. about that. Is how does that factor into the decision making? You know, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, how you evaluate, how you evaluate your pitchers. You know, and can they handle can they handle that heat? Exactly. Yeah, it's that, that emphasis, that, that urgency to mm -hmm. uh, to prepare at a higher level because more eyes are watching on you in a, in a bigger market, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I, I think that's uh, you guys have put it better than I did.
We knew where you were going. I yeah, know what you well, meant. <laughs> via, via Max Freed, that's what we will have for Matt Blake when he joins us here uh, on, on Toe in the Slab, Wait. for sure. Yellow hammer. This guy's got a hammer, man. I think, <laughs> bam, goes straight down. It's awesome. Max, thanks for the time here. Congratulations again on last season. Good luck to you coming up on Thursday. And I, I really hope that these championship rings are, are wearable and not something that you're going to have to store in a showcase because it's just way too much bling. So uh, best of luck on that front as well. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having yeah. me. Congratulations, man. World champ forever. Forever. Thanks. David, in, in the early part of our chat with Max, you and him were kind of talking about the importance of the increase in intensity in those big games like a closeout game in the World Series. And I know in the past you've talked about in those situations, limiting uncompetitive pitches, right? Not wasting the ammo, so to speak. And when you succeed in those roles, after being in that hyper-focused state of mind, I'm wondering, is it easier for a pitcher to identify how to get back there when, when, you need to in future outings? I believe it is. You know, I think it's money in the bank. You know, that sort of experience that you get in those situations, that there's just no way to replicate that. There's no way to simulate it. It's a World Series. You're in a jam. You pitch out of it. The crowd goes nuts. Your team goes nuts. There's an accountability and a responsibility that comes with being a starting pitcher in those types of games. And you take it seriously. You take it personally. And once you come through that battle and you, you feel like you were successful, that's something you could always recall on. You could always draw on and remember, hey, I've been through that. I know I can do it. I've been there. I've done that. It's a confidence builder. Uh, it, it certainly uh, it makes you stronger mentally, emotionally, mentally and, and, and physically as well, because you don't send you, don't, you tend not to press in those spots, whereas a pitcher who's a little bit unsure, who has doesn't have those reps or that experience. Those are the ones that, that might be prone to press, maybe squeeze the baseball a little bit, maybe start making uncompetitive pitches because you're anxious, a little, your, your anxiety gets to you a little bit more. So yeah, there's no substitute for not only the experience level, but having success with that experience. Max seems like a guy that is kind of comfortable with any outcome because he believes in his abilities and he believes in, in his efforts as well. So I'm going to be, anxious to see how he responds in bigger situations. And I, like we were saying before in this podcast and with Max, I think the Braves are going to be in those familiar situations here in 2022. It's going to be a fun season again in Atlanta, in my opinion. All right, James, this week in pitching history, what do you have for us? Not going back far. April 9th, 2021. Starting a new season. Let's look back real quick at the last one. April 9th, 2021, one year ago, Saturday, Joe Musgrove, just mentioned him earlier, pitches the first no-hitter in Padres history, shutting out the Rangers 3-0 in Texas. He struck out 10 without a walk with a hit batter, and he made team history, and he grew up in El Cajon as a Padres fan. It was They were the last team without a no-hitter, and they finally got it in their 53rd season. And last year, there were nine no-hitters, the most in any season in MLB history, breaking the record of eight in 1884, ticking them off real quick. We got Joe Musgrove, Carlos Rodon, John Means, Wade Miley, Spencer Turnbull, Corey Kluber, a Cubs combo with Zach Davies, Ryan Tapera, Andrew Chafin, and Craig Kimbrell, Tyler Gilbert, 
And finally, two friends of the show at the Brewers, Corbin Burns and Josh Hader combined for one. So that a record nine no-hitters last year. That's something that we haven't even thought about. How many it's a good prop there for the open of the season. How many no-hitters are we going to see after last year's record? Combined. Where would you set the bar there? Yeah, combined no-hitters. Yeah. yeah. Overall number. Hmm. All right, we're going to have to think about that. Interesting. All right, guys, three up, three down. As we close out the show and look ahead to opening day, David, what do you want to start with? Three up, three down. Well, you know, we, we talked about the lockout and the collective bargaining agreement that has recently, you know, was a struggle, but had been signed and done. So some of the behavior of the clubs, has it changed? And I think one of the really positive signs is watching whether young rookies make the team out of spring training. Are they going to have their service time manipulated just for a month or so or two weeks to try to gain an extra year of service? Well, so far, so good. We've got three pretty good signs early on here. Uh, Hunter Green, the pitcher with the Reds, is going to make the opening day roster. Julio Rodriguez, Seattle Mariners, great young talent, exciting, going to make the team right out of spring training. And Bobby Witt Jr., a guy we had here on towing with the slab, is going to be probably the third baseman on opening day. That is fantastic news for the fan bases. Nothing gets a fan base more excited than, hey, we've got a great young stud rookie that's going to make the team right out of spring training. Let's buy that opening day ticket. Let's go see these young kids play. It gives you hope. That's what baseball is all about at this time of year is about the hope in spring training, about the new stud prospect that's going to change our fortunes. That To me, that that, that is just fantastic news that that, that at least, the least uh, those three are going to be starting on opening day for their respective teams. I love it when you think about the teams themselves, right? Julio Rodriguez, the Mariners, a team on the rise. Big reason why is because they have this blue chip prospect. Uh, the Tigers, Spencer Torkelson is another guy. Exactly. You, did, did you see how he got word of it? Miguel Cabrera was involved. Nice. It was right, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's another great example. He's a great young hitter, too. Yeah, and, and I think that's really important. A, a guy like Miguel Cabrera obviously understands, you know, his career is not getting longer. And... and to kind of give way to a kid like Spencer Torkelson, because Torkelson is going to be playing first base. It was uh, an interesting moment. And, and if you saw, David, I, I think you're going to appreciate that. If you, if you took the time eventually to go watch Torkelson's reaction explanation to the media, having Miguel Cabrera there in that moment, it meant a lot to Spencer Torkelson because it, he was saying it, it, that's where he understood that okay i belong here i belong with these guys i'm being accepted by miguel cabrera so it was really cool to see and i think that's also part of what it's all about the the acceptiveness that, that wasn't easy to come by if you were a, a rookie trying to um you know make your bones as a young big leaguer right absolutely it makes you it makes you want to watch the tigers now right a little bit yeah. more than 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 previously they've got some good young players coming up all right, James, three up, three down. What do you have? Well, there was some news uh, the other day that uh, MLB umpires are going to start to be mic'd up so they can NFL-style explain uh, replay reviews and such. And I thought of that. Uh, Coney and I worked a Yankees-Philly spring training game on Monday, and there was a little strange moment where there was a runner on first, and better, it's a ground ball, and he ends up at first, wild throw, ends up being first and third. There's some confusion down on the field. Joe Girardi comes out to argue the runner at first goes, the runner who was at third goes back to first base and the batter's called out 
Eventually, we pieced together that he was called out on batter interference, but that's a perfect spot where the umpire can just throw on the microphone and say, the batter's out on batter interference. He can make a clear explanation to the fans, and we can all move on. I'm excited for this. We're going to have clarity, right? I mean, yeah, it's much needed. You're right. It is. I mean, the fans are the ones who are left in the dark. And, uh, you know, that's especially when you have other sports, you know, Shaq, as you know, other sports that have already been uh, been doing this for a while. So, yes, hit the button, hit the button on your hip and tell us what's going on. I'm going to be waiting for that one umpire to leave that button on, though. <laughs> you know, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. We're going to be there for it. Uh, all right. Three up, three down here. I need to give a shout out to Major League Baseball because they released some uniform plans for April 15th, which this year is the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. And the league announced that all players will be wearing Dodger blue number 42s on their back. So we always had for the last several years, every player wearing number 42. Well, this year, they're all going to be Dodger blue on the back of their jerseys on that day. So you're going to see Dodger blue 42s on a home white Red Sox jersey. It's going to look outrageous, but it's going to be really cool. And you know what else? You're going to see a Dodger blue 42 on a Giants jersey. (laughs) Think about that. I think that's a really cool detail to help uh, amplify the significance of April 15th and Jackie Robinson. So bravo to Major League Baseball for that. You're here. I agree. Without a doubt, it shows you the significance of not just what he did for the Dodgers and breaking the color barrier, but everybody, everybody everywhere. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. When we have our regularly scheduled episode next week, we're actually going to be talking about what happened during regular season games. That sounds pretty damn cool, right? Oh, yeah. And now, now, the, now the fun begins. That's right. That's right. Want to give a big thank you to Max Fried for coming on the show. Big thanks, as always, to our fabulous producer, Dan Wark. A reminder, new episodes of the show, they drop each and every Tuesday. You can rate, review, subscribe. It is the best way that you can show your support to the show. Tone the Slab Pitching with David Cohn is a production of John Boy Media. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Enjoy opening day.